Good morning, WCF. Glad to see all you guys here. We're about 50 men short who are still at the men's retreat on their way back today, but it's great to see everybody able to come and I invite you to stand up as we worship our God.
reflect on those words and he has overcome he's overcome so much and he did so much for us dying on the cross and God we pour out our love for you we pour out our love through worship and we also pour out our love through offering God and at this time I'm going to have the ushers come forward as we take offering and just think about the words of this next song how good our God is and just how amazing he is and everything that he's done in all of our lives.
Absolutely incredible. Everything that you've done for us, sending your son to die on the cross at Calvary. God, thank you for everybody being able to come here and just watch over us as we gather as a church body and watch over Jim as he shares the word of what you've provided for us to live by. God, thank you for everything that you've done in all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
there's nothing there's nothing like a like a glad reunion is there there's just nothing like it, it when love meets love they catch you by surprise these glad reunions and they can't be rehearsed they just happen to you And you don't know how you'll react when they do happen. Spontaneous joy just spills out of you, making a total mess of you. But you're never more wonderfully yourself than when someone you love catches you by surprise. Imagine what this video would have looked like if those soldiers and Marines had suddenly showed up only to be ignored or rejected. What if no one had wanted or expected them to come home? What if nobody had even cared whether they lived or died? Can you imagine their sadness? Maybe even their anger? After all they had sacrificed, they'd given their all and got no thanks or celebration. Now, some of you men and perhaps women are old enough to have served in the military during the Vietnam War. I was there with you during the Vietnam War. That's when I served in the Army. And I remember coming home from Fort Lewis on a weekend pass, uh, got off the the Trailways bus downtown Portland, walked up Broadway where people my age were cruising back then, driving along. I was dressed very smartly in my army khakis, and I was absolutely stunned by all the jeering and the cursing and the obscene gestures coming my way. Me? Me? You see, Jesus, he understands this kind of ingratitude. He knows all about it. He knows all about the grand celebration, too. He has in mind for his return when he he comes back to earth. He has in mind a grand celebration. Not unlike the grand celebration that we just witnessed with these soldiers and Marines coming home to those he loved. They loved. This time when he returns, though, he's coming back as a triumphant king. A warrior who's won the battle. And for the last battle that he will win. During the past several weeks, Pastor Kerry has been carefully guiding us through the facts and the forecasts and the warnings that Jesus gave concerning his second coming. He gave these instructions, Jesus gave these instructions shortly before he went to the cross to be crucified. He was about to give his all for all of mankind. What do you suppose his demeanor would have been, as he spelled out this 
what was going to happen. What, was, what, what do you suppose was in the tone of his voice as he was declaring these truths? What do you suppose his tone of voice sounded like when he was telling this parable found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 30? And if you'd like to, please stand as we read this, or as I read this passage. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 30. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, and five of them were prudent. For when the foolish took up their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. (coughs) But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will be not enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. And the later, and later, the other virgins also came along saying, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me five talents to me, and see, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I was that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? 
then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money and with back interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone to, who, has, who has shall more be given, and he shall, shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please be seated. I don't know that I can mimic the tone of voice that Jesus had, but I have the sense that what he was saying was quite serious, don't you? And when he was telling the stories to his disciples, there was a very serious tone in his voice. Because what he was about to do, what he was about to go through, was the most serious thing that ever happened on planet Earth. He was about to take upon himself the guilt and the burden of the sin of all humanity. He was about to be punished, to take on the punishment willfully. He was willing to die on the cross to take the punishment for the sins of the world so that we might be free. And so his tone of voice was very likely very serious. Now, these parables are actually two sides of the same coin. The first, the story of the ten maidens or virgins, emphasizes the importance of a, of a watchful heart attitude. A watchful heart attitude to Jesus. It's about loving Jesus and faithfully waiting for his return. Just looking forward to the day when he finally shows up, even by surprise. And it's about the certain outcome of ignoring or discounting the fact that he's coming again. The second parable, the entrusted talents, focuses on how our devotion to Jesus exhibits itself in how we use the gifts and the opportunities that he gives us. And it also reveals how our unfaithfulness will show itself. Our true attitude toward him is shown by our deeds and also by our misdeeds. So this is a two-sided story. I'm not going to take them separately, but singly, as one story with two emphases. So are you looking forward to Jesus' return? Are you ready for him to come again? As Pastor Kerry has been pointing out during this discourse, and as we consider current world events, it sure looks like his return is just around the corner, doesn't it? So how are you sure that you're ready to meet him? Will it be a glad reunion? On the morning of October 6, 1973, I, I awoke to the sound of a voice on my radio announcing that Israel had been attacked by Syria and Egypt. It was a Jewish holy day called Yom Kippur. What I was overhearing is now called the Yom Kippur War. I trusted in Jesus during my time in the army. And I'd even read a popular book on, the prophecy, on prophecy by Hal Lindsey. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth, and it scared me to death. 
Uh, and, and I knew, I knew that what happens in Israel is central to what happens in the last days. I didn't doubt that Jesus was coming soon, but the thought of it petrified me. I wasn't sure what to do about it, but I knew I wasn't ready to see him. I was sure it wouldn't be a glad reunion when I did see him. The Yom Kippur War lasted only 18 days before a ceasefire was called, and I was relieved to know that Armageddon, the last battle, would be delayed for a while longer. But for how much longer, I couldn't tell. The Battle of Armageddon is the final showdown between good and evil on the earth. After the tribulation, Jesus will return to the earth as this mighty king with armies of heaven uh, with him to destroy all those who have rejected him as Savior. The forces of evil will rally the nations against him. There will be no bystanders. The entire earth will be involved. Jesus will defeat the Antichrist and the false Christ. Uh, actually quickly. But the Bible describes this battle in detail. It'll be a horrible battle, but Jesus will be the victor. And there's much more to this end times prophecy, but I won't go into that. What concerned me then was that I wasn't ready to meet him. And I didn't know how to get ready. Nor did I realize that I couldn't make myself ready. but that Jesus had already made provision for my need. He promised the Holy Spirit to inhabit those who trust in him. Now, I had trusted him, but I didn't know about that. In fact, I really knew very, very little about what the Bible says concerning the Christian life. I knew I'd received Christ into my life, but beyond that, I didn't know much. But I was about to learn an awful lot. God had got my attention through the Yom Kippur War. So, the oil in the lamps of the maidens refers to the Holy Spirit. The oil in the scriptures is a a picture of the Holy Spirit. It pictures the Holy Spirit. There are other pictures for the Holy Spirit, but this is one of them. So, the, the oil in the lamps of the maidens refers to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came to lead us to Jesus and also to prepare us for going to him or for preparing us for meeting him when he comes to us, either or. Now, if you look at at John chapter 14, I'll read verses 15 through 21. I think I can see that from here. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father... And he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him 
and will disclose myself to him. Now, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross is past, is completed, and is finished forever. The work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us is in the present, preparing us in love and holiness to meet him. The return of Jesus is in the future, a promise yet to be fulfilled. Our salvation was established in the past when Jesus died and rose again. It is experienced in the present because the Holy Spirit now lives within us if we are believers in Jesus. And it will be culminated in the future when Jesus returns. Our salvation then has three tenses, past, present, and future. <clears throat> and there are three aspects of our salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification means simply that our sins have been forgiven. It's just as if I've never sinned, as they say. Justification. He has washed away our sin. Sanctification, present tense, means that God has not only given us freedom and forgiveness from the penalty of sin, he's now giving to us freedom from the power of sin. Glorification, when someday in the future, that future tense means that one day we will be free from the very presence of sin. So we're free from the penalty of sin, we're being freed from the power of sin, sin, and we will one day be freed from the very presence of sin. So three tenses, past, present, and future. In the meantime, the return of Jesus has been dismissed by many as a myth. If he's really coming back, they say... What's keeping him? What's been keeping him for 2,000 years? If he's really coming back, if this is really true. Well, here's the micro view. Here's the mini answer to the story. Or the answer to the question. The answer is you and me. And here's what I mean. Suppose that Jesus had come, returned to earth 100 years ago, in 1922. As far as I know, nobody in here would have been born yet, right? So I think it's safe to say that he was waiting for you and me to be born. Now, if he hadn't waited, if he'd come sooner, you and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in this conversation. So he did wait for you and me. Now, that's a micro view. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. But it certainly includes you and me. Had he come sometime sooner than when you and I were born, we wouldn't have known him. But he waited. He waited in part for you and me to show up. Okay. So that's a micro view. And there's a bigger picture. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world, Jesus said in Matthew 24:14. It be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. 
And in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, Peter writes, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So he was waiting for you and me and millions and millions and millions more, not wanting anyone to perish, but for millions, millions, billions of people to come to him. So, according to missiologists who keep track of these things, how many tribes and tongues and nations have been reached with the gospel, how many tribes and tongues and nations have the, the word in their own language, the job is pretty close to being done even now. So it's very likely that his return is very soon. And we're hearing about and seeing these birth pangs even today. And if you don't mind, I want to pause for a moment and ask you to pray for the Ukraine. Lord God, you're the creator of all the nations, all the people in the nations. And we lift up to you the, the country of Ukraine and Russia today. We pray for our believing brothers and sisters in Ukraine as well as in Russia. And Lord, we pray that you would intervene here. We pray for the peace of Christ that surpasses comprehension, just for you to show up and act and hold off this tide of evil. Lord, would you also use this time that many will come to repentance. So we ask this in the name of Jesus, that you'll glorify yourself. Amen. So the question to you and me now is actually not as much what about the rest of the world. When is the rest of the world ready? But are we ready? That's the only one we can directly answer. We know that God can answer our prayers concerning the rest of the world. But the question we have to deal with is, am I ready? Keep in mind that this has always been Jesus' desire for you, that our lamps would be full and that when when he returns, there's a glad reunion. He wants a glad reunion. In fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. To join the glad reunion, we must first begin to know him. Now, when I received him into my life as a soldier in 1972, I just began to know him. And I didn't even know what I didn't know. All I knew is I was scared that he would show up if I wasn't ready. That's all I knew. So I'd like to read to you from John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God and as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. This wind, the, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, let me repeat this. You must be born again. You are born physically into this world without any choice of your own. But you do have a choice whether or not you will be born spiritually. That is to say, be made alive to God by his Spirit. When you were formed in your mother's womb, God instilled in you many different features and, and that make you a very unique creation. There's never, ever been another human being made exactly like you. There never will be again. And you were created in the image of God to receive and to express his love and his likeness in a way that he can't express himself through anybody but you. You were created in his image to reflect his likeness. And, of course, sin has sullied the image of God in each of us. But when we were born again, the Holy Spirit began a good work in us, restoring in us the image of God. And this is why he's given us the gospel of the kingdom, to reconcile us to himself and to renew the image of God in us. He has also given to us his word, the Bible, to speak to us and to guide us as a lamp for our feet. This is, the, this is his love letter, the Bible. It's his, it's his, it's, he spells the whole story out right here. This is his plan. This is his purpose. This is his love letter to you and to me and to millions and billions. This is his love letter. And he uses this to speak to us, to guide us, to encourage us, to help us as a lamp to our feet. He's also given us faith to trust in him and prayer to talk with him. And to hear his voice. He's given to each of us that gift. He's given to us all gifts. He's given to us gifts that are common to all. But when we were born again, he also gave to us spiritual gifts. He gave us spiritual gifts. Now, when Linda and I, my wife Linda and I were... I guess you could say in dating, if, dating if you call living in Germany and living in Seattle dating. But we were dating by mail anyway. And then we later became engaged. But I used to love to receive letters from Linda, and I still do. I just got a card last night, which I really loved. And I always look forward to writing letters to her, too. Just look forward to it. I mean, I could sit and write letters. It didn't bother me. I, I was living alone in Germany, and it was no problem for me to sit all night and just write a letter. Home love letters. And um, it's not unlike the gift of prayer that God has given to us. When you love somebody, you just want to be with them. You want to talk with them. You look forward to seeing them. And I really look forward to the day, every day I look forward to the day that I would see Linda again. So I still look forward to those days, even though I see her every day. So, God gave us spiritual gifts when we were born again, too, which are channels through which he aims to express his life and his love 
uh, through us to other people. These are intended to glorify God. This uh, that is, they're meant to reveal his likeness in and through us. He's given these spiritual gifts to each of his children, and he expects us to use them as good stewards. He wants us to enjoy using them so that through us, others can enjoy God as he reflects his likeness through us. In Second Corinthians 4, 7, Paul wrote, we have this treasure, treasure in earthen vessels, which is what we are, crackpots, I guess you could say. But anyway, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. It's not of ourselves. And so now we've come to the other side of the story, the entrusted talents. And one of the simple points in this story is that the master gave some amount of silver to each of his slaves and he expected them to put his entrusted treasure to good use. They're supposed to be good stewards of his trust, no matter how much he had deposited with them, whether it be five talents, two talents, or one. When he returned, he expected a good return on his investment. Another lesson we see is that the master was very willing, very willing to invest even more in the one who was faithful with what he had been given. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. The two faithful servants had obviously been expecting his return, and they eagerly went to work. They loved and respected the master, and they enjoyed a glad reunion when he did return. But the third slave... Didn't really know the master at all, apparently. He only knew his own misconceptions about the master. He saw the master as a harsh and cruel taskmaster. He feared failure and he feared disapproval. So he did what seemed like the safest move. He buried his talent. He hadn't even considered the kind intention that the master had toward him, even in entrusting that single talent to him. That was an act of kindness and inclusion on the part of the master. He didn't even see it that way. He didn't understand. And so, if the master had been as mean-spirited as, mean-spirited as he had imagined, well, the master probably wouldn't have even entrusted his money to this, this fledgling. Uh, but his, this, his, his misconceptions about the master seemed to be more, to re, more real to him than the true nature of the master. He just didn't know the master, and if he didn't know the master, he didn't love the master or respect the master. You know, we may feel like we have, what we have to offer is of no more importance than this to Jesus. We have nothing to offer, and sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes this feeling is fed by the critical words of others which makes us feel small and unimportant. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these passages that are coming up, but I'm just going to tell about them. Do you remember the story about the little boy who offered his lunch to Jesus, and he, Jesus took and fed it to the 5,000? Do you remember that one of the disciples, I think it was Philip, if I remember right, said, well, we've got a, little, we've got a lunch here. It's actually a poor boy's lunch, you know, five loaves and two fishes, a poor boy's lunch, barley loaves and a couple of dried fish. But what is that among so many? What is that among so many? What is this among so many? Sometimes that's how we feel. Now listen, 
Try to hear it from the standpoint of the little boy who offered his lunch. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to believe that they didn't snatch the lunch out of the boy's hand or somehow manipulate it away from him. I don't think Jesus would have put up with that. I think the little boy willingly offered his lunch to Jesus. He just offered his lunch to Jesus. Now, this is what happens when we offer our lunch to Jesus. It might be comparable to one talent, a poor boy's lunch. This is all I have to offer. But I'm willing to give it not to the 5,000 first, because that's not even in its wildest imaginings, but to Jesus. You see, what you give directly to Jesus, he can take and he can multiply beyond our wildest imaginings. And there was plenty of fish and and uh, loaves left over. And I suppose, I'm just supposing, that the little boy took home a big bunch of food home. And that's what happens when we give what we do have to Jesus. Just give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus first. And remember Mary, who had spent her expensive perfume on Jesus, anointing him, and Judas Iscariot stood by the sidelines scowling and saying, what a waste. She could be selling that and giving it to the poor as if he cared about the poor. But what a waste. And you might have heard that yourself at times. Maybe it's just not somebody else saying it, but you saying it to yourself. What a waste. I don't, can't waste my life on giving to Jesus. Well, I remember when I just finished um, our Portland State University, and somebody had told me, well, you know, you've got a, a way of putting words on paper. I was a sports editor for the newspaper, and they said, why don't you just apply for the ministry of Campus Crusade to work as a writer? And I thought, well, I had a good job, you know, and I had a, I'd been groomed for a job in a construction industry. And I thought, well, man, that's, and that's what my dad had done for 35 years. And he was really happy that I could join the company, go to work for the company, and have a happy future. But I could just tell that God was speaking in my heart by then. I'd learned a lot of things. I'd spent a summer in South Chicago witnessing. So I'm talking about South Chicago. I'd been witnessing and sharing the gospel for a full summer, and I fell in love with the gospel, with the God behind the gospel and sharing the gospel. I didn't want to do anything really besides that. So I had to make a choice. Was it really, would it really be a waste of my life? to give what talent I had to God? Would that be a waste? Well, my dad wasn't excited about it when I did go ahead and take, took that, state, that step of faith. And I joined the Campus Crusade for Christ, and I'm still I'm back again with him again. So, and God has given me so many adventures and so many amazing experiences that I could never have purchased with the biggest salary. And by the way, the company went out of business. God hasn't gone out of business. He's coming back. Now, I hit a milestone this past year. Turned 70. Now, here's my job description. Give away everything you begged, borrowed, and stole along the way. You can't take it with you. So I'm offering whatever days the Lord gives me the rest of my life to him. So whatever you have in your hand, it might be nothing more than a, 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 a small boy's lunch. Give it to Jesus. That's how you get the glad, the glad reunion. There's nothing like a, grad, a glad reunion, is there? Nothing like a glad reunion. You might make a total mess of yourself, but you'll never be more wonderfully yourself when, than when you give it all away. Amen? Lord, thank you.
for giving to us all of yourself and your great promises of returning. And we just look forward to that, Lord. You know our hearts. You know where we're at in relation to you. Lord, we are looking forward to your coming. We thank you that we love you because you first loved us. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Thank you for everything that you've done, and thank you for everything that you do every day in our lives. Amen. Praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.